It's good to be with you today. Thanks for coming to worship, and I want to say welcome to uh, our guests, uh, everyone who this is your church home in Mesa, at South Mountain, in Fountain Hills, online, in our chapel services. I love how we can worship all over the valley because uh, of technology, and uh, honestly, the Lord is moving in our church in a special way. Last week, at the end of the sermon, I did an Easter survey, and I want to share the results with you because as a church family, we got to celebrate this together. Uh, first, last Sunday was a record-setting day for our church. Uh, by God's grace, we just kept growing over the years. Last Sunday, in person, we had 4,408 people come to worship. So amazing. We grew a ton in the last year. This was almost 1,000 more people than the year before which was a previous record, and then with the people online, about 1,900 people online, 6,300-plus people were worshiping together. And then we uh, did a survey where you got to check A, B, C, or D, like I already have a relationship with Jesus, I need to consider it more, but B was I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, uh, so I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 221 people checked B. Yes! Come on, let's praise God for that, church, at every location. Let's praise the Lord. Uh, plus, praise God, 32 kids accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And just so you know, at G Kids, when uh, little kids uh, say they want to accept Jesus, we put them through kind of an interview process, and we make sure that they actually understand it. And when we keep record like this, uh, it's their first time, not like when I was a kid, I would get saved every week just to make sure I, you know, I don't want to cover my bases, but we, uh, we interview and we make sure they understand the basics of salvation. So this is legit an amazing thing, 250 plus people accepting Jesus. Uh, and we do care about numbers at this church because every number represents a name. Every person matters to God. Uh, then this was incredible. This kind of surprised me. 522 people said, I'm new here. I didn't expect that many people to indicate that. So if that's you, welcome. Welcome. Um, and then a lot of you said you wanted to take next steps in your spiritual journey. 199 people want to be baptized. Just not one more, 200? Come on. There's probably someone here. You're holding out. Uh, 234 people said they want to start serving on Team GC. 318 people want to join a life group. That makes me really happy because when you're in community, like in a life group, that really helps you uh, to have the support you need uh, following the Lord. It helps you to have the community you need. We have like 150 life groups right now. We'll need a lot of new life groups by the fall. So some of you, God's already put a call in your heart. Like, I need to lead, lead a life group. I want to host one at my house. Uh, and that would be awesome. So, man, we celebrate what the Lord did. And I want to say thank you to every one of you who prayed for Easter. You invited people to church. Uh, thank you for giving generously to the Lord because you're funding this ministry that actually makes a tangible difference. And uh, thank you for serving those of you who served last week so much. So, hey, let's just celebrate this together and give God praise. Okay, so I'm starting a new sermon series today uh, that I think will be really important for our church on prayer. It's kind of a basic in Christianity, basic thing that we all know we're supposed to do, but I think a lot of times we make it a lot more difficult and complicated than it needs to be. So this first sermon is titled, It's Easier Than You Think. I almost made the title, Stop Being So Awkward. 
but this sounds good. So it's easier than you think. I got a lot of questions on Instagram when I did a survey. You know, people were asking, like, well, how long do I need to pray? How do I stay awake when I pray? Uh, <laughs> does it even work? Does it make a difference? Why do I need to ask God for stuff if he already knows what I need? Uh, why should I pray when God already has a plan for my life? Do I need to get down on my knees? Uh, people are like, well, I want to talk to him like a friend, but then it kind of feels irreverent to be too casual. So there's all this confusion, all these doubts around prayer, and we're going to answer a lot of different questions about prayer over the next multiple weeks. We can't cover it all in one day, so I would encourage you to keep coming so you can get the full picture. But my biggest goal in this sermon especially is not just that you would understand it more. I'm not trying to get you to pray longer. I'm trying to get you to enjoy prayer. That's my goal. I want you to enjoy prayer. Deep down, in our souls, I think we all want to pray. And that's because we're made in God's image and likeness, and God exists three in one, in community, eternally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means God is relational and always has been relational, and so we were designed for relationship with God. We're hardwired in our souls to communicate with God. That's why all people, mostly all people, in some form or another, they pray. Even if it's not to the one true God, they pray, they pray to another God. They talk to themselves. <laughs> like, like oh, I got to figure this out. They meditate. They try to manifest into the universe. It's because on some level we know we are made to pray. But we struggle with it. We do. We all struggle with it. And if you struggle with it, you're not alone. Welcome to being human. I struggle with it. But it's for multiple reasons. Um, maybe you'll relate to some of these. Uh, first, because we have fast-paced, overstimulated lives. And so most of us are actually uncomfortable with quiet, with silence. You, uh, if you're like me, you have a hard time just sitting still without any music on, without TV, without entertainment, without social media, uh, keeping us occupied. And so some of you, if you were being honest, you would say, I know I'm supposed to pray, but honestly, it's just boring. Let's just be real. Sometimes we struggle to pray because of religion. Religious people and systems make prayer often feel like a burden instead of a benefit. And I have never met one single Christian in my life who says, yeah, I think I pray enough. It's going really good. You talk to any Christian about prayer, and within the first couple of sentences, they'll immediately slip into some kind of guilt trip. I know I need to do it more. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. And then we also struggle to pray because of our sinful nature. We all sin. We were all born with a sinful nature. If you are new to this church, you check like I'm new here. Welcome to another imperfect church. There are no perfect people here, and if you're perfect, uh, you're going to have to leave because you'll mess up our thing. <laughs> but sin prevents our prayer life from really being as healthy as it could be because it can interfere with the signal between us and God. It doesn't have to, but when we sin, uh, we oftentimes feel shame, and shame tends to cause human beings to hide from God rather than run to God. 
And so often we all sin and we feel unworthy to bring our request to the almighty, holy creator of the universe and ask for help. It doesn't help the problem that, you know, there's been like the Catholic Church that's turned prayer into a penance. When you get in trouble, it's used as punishment. You need to say this many Our Fathers and this many Hail Marys. And if you have to do it as a punishment, why would you want to do it when you're not in trouble? I don't know. So here we are today, all kinds of baggage and confusion, asking the question, how do I do prayer? How do I do this thing? And this is a question that the original disciples had when they were following Jesus. They asked him, and it talks about it in Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter 6. It says one day Jesus was wrapping up his prayer time, and one of his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They noticed that Jesus seemed to have something special going on. He didn't pray like the rest of them, and they wanted to figure it out. And so then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Most of you have probably heard this before. Maybe in a King James Version, you know, uh, or a different translation, but you've probably heard this before. Oftentimes this is called the Lord's Prayer, which is a really terrible title for it. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. It was the disciples' training prayer is what it was. This is like the training wheels of prayer. And I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say, you should pray this. You don't have to repeat this prayer again and again, although you can if you want to. I do sometimes. Uh, but really, he says you should pray like this. And what he's doing is he's teaching us the right framework, the right way to approach prayer. And, and so I'm not going to break the whole Lord's Prayer down today or the disciples' prayer. But I will give you a quick highlight of what he's trying to teach us with this way of praying. He says, uh, our Father in heaven. And so God is like our Father. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But he's in heaven. He lives in heaven. And if your dad lives in heaven, then that means heaven is your home. And by remembering that heaven is actually your home, it helps you not to worry so much about all the problems on this earth. It's not that we shouldn't care about what happens on this earth, but we know, well, it's not my home in the end anyway. Heaven is where I really belong. Your name is holy. Hallowed be thy name. What that means, holy, is to be set apart. And our God, the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who Jesus prayed to, is set apart from all the other gods and idols and religions of the world. You could pray to anyone or anything, but our God is the only one who has the power to do anything about what you pray for. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we're supposed to work towards and want what is in heaven to be so on earth. In heaven, God is glorified. In heaven, there is no sin. In heaven, God's will is always carried out uh, and everyone is on the same page. And we're supposed to want to bring that to the earth around us to the best of our ability. We want to see heaven come to earth. Your will be done. It's this continual reminder for ourselves that we should want God's will even more than our own will 
to come to pass. We should be praying, okay, God, not my will, but your will. And we, we need that reminder a lot of times because we, we tend to slip into, here's what I want. Here's what I want. It says, give us today our daily bread. Help, help us, Lord. We just, we just need food. And, and what's Jesus trying to do here? He wants you to know that you can depend on God for every need you have, from the biggest needs to the smallest needs. How many of you thought, you know, I can't bring this little need to God? I mean, he's God. He doesn't care about my pimple. Like, I can't ask him for help on this test. I mean, I didn't even study. Like, but, but we can rely on God for every need that we have, even the smallest needs. And by, by reminding us to, to rely on him for specifically like food, it's, it's also an indication. It teaches us you don't need everything you think you need. Like you might want a bigger house or a new car or a nice job, vacation, fill in the blank, right? But let's just remember like God will give us what we need actually need to survive. He's promised to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory, and so it teaches us contentment. Uh, And then the reminder, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Like, we do sin, and so we need to ongoingly keep short accounts with God and confess our sin to God. And then we need to turn around and remember to forgive other people the way God has forgiven us. And so in this teaching prayer, God's reminding us like, hey, you better not ask God to forgive you and then turn around and hold grudges against other people. If you want to receive mercy, you've got to give mercy. People will ask me, well, do I need to confess every single sin to God? The answer is no, you don't. And you couldn't even if you wanted to. Because the truth is we sin in ways we're too dumb to even realize. That's why grace covers over a multitude of sins. Praise God. And then there's a real enemy. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's reminding you, you have a real enemy. And the battle is not against flesh and blood. We don't fight with the weapons of this world. But we do have divine power and assistance from our Father in heaven. He is our helper. And so this training prayer is a good it's a good teaching vehicle for you to think about and to pray and to, to learn from and to really just chew on every individual piece of it. But today I want to focus on the most important part of this prayer. And the key to all prayer is in the first two words. Our Father. God is not the force like in Star Wars. And a lot of Eastern religions kind of treat God like this magical, mythical power that just is out there. And and like in Star Wars, they would say, you know, the force is strong with you, right? And it's not with you. And that's how some people think about God. Like, you know, I just don't really feel anything when I pray. So when I pray, maybe it's not working for me or I don't. I don't really have access to God the way that my grandma did. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just not like a prayer warrior, And that's not how it works. Also, it means God isn't the government. Many legalistic Christians treat God this way. Like he is hidden behind a mountain of bureaucracy and rules and red tape that you didn't even know existed. And if you don't pray exactly right for the right length of time in the right position with all the right verbiage, then it it won't make its way to God and your prayer will just get kicked back like your tax return. 
And then it also teaches us that God isn't a police officer. And that's how many people think about God. Like he is just this cosmic highway patrol officer in the sky waiting to catch you doing something wrong so that he can squash you like a bug and write you a ticket. Many legalistic Christians think about him this way. Many false religions think about him this way, even though they might call him God or Allah or Heavenly Father. But they're more scared of God than anything because of this works-based faith that they have. But that's not who he is. Jesus taught us God is our Father. He's our Father. Whether you had a good or a bad earthly father, you have a good Father in heaven in God, if you're a follower of Jesus. Because he's your father, that has some very powerful implications for you. First, it means that he loves you. He loves you. So you don't have to live in fear of him or walk on eggshells around him. Then second, it means he's a person. He's not a human like us, but he's a person. He has a personality. He has thoughts He has emotions, and he has desires. That's what makes one a person. And so a lot of you are like, well, I don't really know how to pray. I don't really know if if I'm doing it right. Yes, you do, because you also happen to be a person. And you know how to relate to other persons. You do it all the time. And so isn't it weird that you'd be so comfortable communicating with other people all day? You text You send emails, you talk on the phone, you communicate the desires of your heart with expertly placed emojis. (laughs) And then when it comes to the one person who knows you better than anyone else and who loves you more than anyone else, you get all kinds of awkward. (sighs) Um, Okay, let's see here. Uh, Hello, God. Hi, uh, it's Ryan Visconti at 1010 South Ellsworth Road. Uh, It's been a while. Let's see here. Um, Hark, thou art God, and I beseecheth thee. Am I doing this right? Like, like what, what? You wouldn't talk to your dad that way, right? Why do you think God lets us have our own kids? It's so we'll understand how to relate to him as his kids. Prayer doesn't have to be so complicated and burdensome and exhausting. As sons and daughters of God, what what we can do is we can look to our spiritual big brother, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and we can learn how to pray by his example. And Jesus models the right attitude about prayer for us. His first recorded sentence at 12 years old, he's talking about his father. He said, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Think about the story he told about the prodigal son. When the prodigal son came home after going off and sinning and living crazy, the first thing he said was father. It's the first word Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's stressed out and overwhelmed about the cross. Father, on the cross, it's the first thing he prayed. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And one of his last words on the cross, Father, 
into your hands. I commit my spirit. So your prayer life begins once you realize that God is your father. And if God is your father, then that means you should pray like his child. I'm so glad that I get to preach this sermon while I have an adorable two-year-old little girl. Because she is the perfect illustration for prayer. Uh, She wants something, and she lets us know. She's not concerned about decorum or timing. Definitely not what's convenient for me. She just knows I want cookies, and you're the guy who can reach the top shelf. That's childlike faith. We pray with childlike faith like we are totally dependent on our Father in heaven. Because we are. Not only can he help you, but he wants to help you. And you're already, hear me on this, you are already worthy of his help, not because of your level of devotion, but because of your adoption. You're his child, and as a loving father, he wants to show you his love. Religious people make prayer a to-do thing. It's a to-do list. There's all kinds of expectations and regulations. Religious people have turned prayer into penance and made it more about proving something than enjoying relationship with your father. In his book, A Praying Life, Paul Miller wrote this. I'm going to quote this book a few times. I recommend it. He said, private personal prayer is one of the last great bastions of legalism. In order to pray like a child, you might need to unlearn the non-personal, non-real praying that you've been taught. Isn't it crazy that we believe we're saved by grace, but there's still so much legalism and judgment and guilt around this subject of prayer? In reality, it is easier than you think. If you make it hard and a burdensome thing, you won't enjoy doing it. Why would you? It is easy, and it's supposed to be easy. But I, I also think there are some ways you can fail at prayer. And I'm going to talk about how to pray, what not to do. First, if you're taking notes, you can fail at prayer by being fake. I know people, they start to pray, and all of a sudden, you would think that they were Shakespearean actors. You know, I praise thee, O Lord, and I thank thee, and thou art great. And it's like, when did you talk that way? (laughs) One gal in our church told us that she got in trouble uh, as a teenager for praying and calling God you instead of thou. And her, her mom said, that's disrespectful. Don't talk to God that casually, like you know him. This is like play acting. It's theater. And I noticed, uh, I want to read you Matthew chapter 6. I like this in the message translation. The, the message translation, in case you don't know, is like a paraphrase of the original uh, Greek. And I wouldn't say that you should consume it uh, solely, but it can be a, a way to add a little color because um, it communicates the heart of the original language in a way that we can understand. So I, com- I compare it to like hot sauce. You know, it's good to add a little flavor, but you wouldn't want to just like eat it as a meal by itself. Um, 
But sometimes it's just really interesting to read it in addition to like word-for-word translations. Here's what it says in the message. Jesus is talking about prayer. And he says, and when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Think about how, how weird would it be if uh, I got here, uh, up here to preach every week and all of a sudden I started preaching to you with a British accent. You know, I'd be like, turn to Matthew chapter. Like, what are you doing, bro? Well, you know, like, British voices sound more credible, and I want people to take me seriously, so. But you're from Arizona. <laughs> like, nobody wants fake religious pastor guy. And our God is the same. He wants you to come to him the way you are, the way you talk. But a lot of times you feel like you have to put on a show for God, as if he doesn't know who you are. Not only does he know the real you, but he actually likes the way he made you. <laughs> and so if you're a quiet, soft-spoken person, you don't have to shout when you talk to God. Or if you're fun, outgoing, life-of-the-party guy, you don't have to be all serious and stuffy when you talk to God. He likes you the way he made you. And then furthermore, he wants you to be honest about how you're actually doing. You know, like, when you're honest about your real feelings, that's one way you can communicate trust to the people you love. You, you won't tend to be honest about your real feelings with people you don't trust and people you don't love. Well, your Father in heaven wants you to be as honest with him as you possibly can. So if you're excited, he wants to celebrate with you. If you're sad, he wants to comfort you. If you're worried, he wants to encourage you. If you have sinned, he wants to clean you up and forgive you. Just like you don't want your friends to be fake with you, God wants the real you. He doesn't want the fake religious version of you. So if you ask me, you know, well, how do I pray? Then I would say, well, how do you talk? Just talk to your father like that. I think about as a, as a dad, the other day, um, I was working in my office at home, and I heard Lila in her nursery. She started to cry. She had still been sleeping in the morning, and I hear her kind of cry in like an unusual, like loud way that didn't seem normal. I knew something was kind of wrong. So first I waited a second because I was hoping Amy would come to take care of it. <laughs> but then, you know, I heard her just like, daddy, like mommy, daddy. Like, and so I was like, oh man, I can't, I can't resist that. So I go in her room, I turn on the lights and she's standing up and she's upset. And I, I see like there's stuff everywhere and she had throw up in her hair. And she had tears in her eyes. And she just had her arms reached out, just crying. That is prayer. That is the kind of prayer that pleases God. She didn't know what was wrong. She didn't try to approach it the right way. All she knew was something's not right. And I need help. I need help. And so she called out, for the person who could help her. I love this quote. Prayer mirrors the gospel. 
In the gospel, the Father takes us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of salvation. In prayer, the Father receives us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of help. We look at the inadequacy of our praying and give up thinking something's wrong with us. God looks at the adequacy of his son and delights in our sloppy, meandering prayers. That means if you're hurting, you can cry out to him. If you're worried, you can bring that anxiety to him. He's not going to be disappointed in you for worrying. He's like, I already told you to stop worrying. If you've made a mess, you don't have to hide from God. You can run to your father. Don't let shame keep you from the one person who can clean your mess up. So don't hide your mess. Bring your mess to God in prayer. What happened in the Garden of Eden was after Adam and Eve sinned, Adam hid from the Lord because of shame. And we've all felt shame because of sin. And sometimes shame makes us feel unworthy to bring our prayers to our Father. But I love the example of David in the Psalms where he had committed adultery. He got the girl pregnant. And then he got her husband killed. Safe to say he had a lot to feel shame about. So here's how he prays in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you. And you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Let me rejoice now. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. Here's a guy who is holding nothing back. He knows there's no point being fake. I've got to be real. God has wanted realness. He's wanted honesty all along. I've been a sinner all along too. And so I can avoid that fact and put on a show, but, but that show isn't going to do anything. It's not going to get me anywhere. I, I need to be real with the Lord. He wants us to be real, and we can come to him with our mess, and he will embrace us, mess and all. He's just joyful that you brought your mess to him. Next, you can fail at prayer by following a formula. A lot of people get really legalistic and judgy about prayer. Like, you know, it has to be on your knees. Like, lots of false religions have rules. You have to bow down and pray towards Mecca five times a day. You have to have your arms crossed. You have to light candles first. But God is your father. So he does not care if you talk to him on your knees or sitting in a lazy boy. You don't get bonus points with your father for being uncomfortable. You can pray on your knees if you want to, but don't make it legalistic. Some people are like, well, do, you know, does it have to be loud and, and passionate? I mean, it, it can be. I'm going to talk about passionate prayer. And, but your tone of voice doesn't show God that you're serious. He cares about your heart. Does it have to be out loud? Some people think, like, we well, have to say them out loud or it doesn't count. You know, God actually knows your thoughts. 
That's scary. But it means you could also pray just by thinking your prayers. It doesn't have to be out loud. But that being said, I do want to encourage you to practice praying out loud. I want to encourage you to practice praying out loud. Not because you have to, but because it's good for you. I want you to hear the sound of your own voice declaring God's mercy and goodness and faithfulness. I want you to get used to hearing your own voice praising God. Uh, and because a lot of times, you know, we get so awkward about, you know, praise and worship. And some of you have told me, like, I, I just feel so uncomfortable telling other people about Jesus. Well, no wonder you can't even bring yourself to talk to Jesus. So maybe get used to talking out loud about him while you're talking with him. Get, get in private. Go in your room and shut the door like Jesus said so that you don't worry about what other people think. And just get used to talking out loud to him. And I want to encourage you just to lay aside all the different acronyms and systems and checklists. Like when I was growing up, I heard people teach uh, the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, as a way to, to structure your prayer. Like you need to do adoration first, and then confession, and then thanksgiving, and then supplication, which supplication is like making requests. So the, the thinking was, you know, you can't just go straight to asking God for what you need until first you adore him and praise him for how awesome he is. And then you need to confess all your sins because he's not going to listen to your needs if you're a little sinner. And then you need to tell him thanks for all the stuff he already did, did for you. And then after you've done all those things, you've gotten them good and buttered up, <laughs> then you can present your requests. Like, do you see how non-relational that is? It's even possibly a little bit manipulative. You know, like the person that comes to you and they always like, give you the compliment right before they ask for what they actually want? It's like a little bit off-putting. Now, now, there's nothing wrong with like thanking God or adoring him, and you should confess your sin, but you can also just come to him straight with your needs. You can just skip right to that part. I know sometimes we worry about that. I've worried about it. Like, am I, am I being selfish with all these prayers? Like, me, me, me. God, help me with my stuff. I need your help. I want this. I need you. I'm asking for this. Like, doesn't God get sick of me? With all these requests, all this self-focus, and the answer is no. No. You need to stop worrying about being selfish when you pray. Because it's not selfish to bring your needs to God. It's actually an act of worship. It's an act of faith. Because when you bring your needs to God, you're declaring your faith in his power to help you. He loves when you bring your needs to him. How many of you dads in the room? You would be pretty upset if you found out your daughter had a huge need, a big problem in her life, and she went to her friends and her teacher and the internet, but she didn't feel like she could bring them to you. Like, I, no, I want to help you. I'm your father. I want to help you. I care about you. And it's the same with God. And, and when you see all these examples in Scripture of people bringing needs to Jesus, 
How did Jesus respond? His mother came to him and said, they're out of wine. I need you to do something about it. Pretty needy. The lame man, help, I want to walk. The blind man, I would like to see here. The leper, heal me. The Roman centurion, my servant is sick. Jairus, my daughter is sick and she's died. I need some help with that. And what did Jesus say? You people, so needy. Jesus, 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 help me, help me, help me. Me, me, me. What about me? What about what I want? No, he's like, your faith has made you whole. See, rise, here's some good wine. (laughs) Your servant's healed. The woman with the issue of blood, your faith has made you whole. I mean, he wasn't rebuking them for being selfish. He was glad that they brought their needs to him. He said, I haven't seen greater faith than this in all of Israel. It's an act of faith. So in Matthew 6, 7, it says this in the message translation. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what they want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. I help. I need you. Help. I'm worried. Come. I feel lonely. I'm sad. Or thank you. I'm excited. This is awesome. You need to understand, I want you to be free today from all of the guilt trips. There's so many guilt trips about prayer. Sometimes from other people who judge you because you don't pray the way they pray. And a lot of times it's from you. Because like, you're not praying enough. And you, I, I've had moments where I've prayed to God and I've poured out my heart. And, and I had a really good moment of prayer. And then I walked away and I felt guilty because it wasn't longer or louder. This isn't supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be a burden. It's not supposed to be exhausting. Jesus gives us relationship with the Father, not just religion with rules. Aren't you tired of religion? In Matthew 11, Jesus said, to those of you who are tired, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And the Lord wants your prayer life to be easy and light. Not a burden, not exhausting, not legalistic. Just talk to your father like you talk to a person. Me and Amy went out uh, for a, a date the other night. It was actually a whole day of dates. It, she was like, I want a day of adventure. And I was like, man, this, this sounds tiring. <laughs> like, but I did it. I went with it. You know, We went shopping. We went and did fun stuff. We had dinner. And wouldn't it be weird if I sat there at dinner and I was like, okay, let's see. Pulled out my uh, outline for conversation. Let's see. First, introductions. Hi. I'm, I'm your husband. I just want to say you look, you look great tonight. 
Let's see, okay. Uh, say something funny. Okay, well, a pastor walked into a bar. And, uh, ask her how she's doing. Hi, how are you doing? There wouldn't be a lot of, like, sparks in that moment, would there? I actually knew a guy in high school who was really awkward with girls, and so before he'd go on dates, he would write out on a legal pad a whole list of questions to ask so he wouldn't have awkward conversations. It's <laughs> like, bro, hey, whatever works, bro. Just make, like, that's weird. Your conversation with God isn't supposed to be this way. When you have fun conversation with friends, what's it like? It's, it's natural. It just flows. You just kind of like bounce back and forth and you jump from, from topic to topic and you laugh and it's easy. You're not like keeping track of whose turn it is to talk next and, and what you're supposed to say and what they're supposed to say. Like, well, you didn't really like adore me before you asked me for like what? It's just easy and it's, just talk to God that way. Like we see a really good example of Jesus's conversation with the father that he would have in like John 11 where Lazarus his friend had died and and Lazarus's sisters came and got him uh, and so it says that he rolled this uh, they rolled the stone away uh, Jesus looked up to heaven and here he's going to pray he says father thank you for hearing me you always hear me but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me it, it, this is funny to me. This is like Jesus is having a conversation with God, and he's just like, Father, uh, thank you for hearing me. I, I know you always hear me. I'm just saying it for all these goobers here, so they'll know that, that you sent me. Uh, anyway, Lazarus, come out. Right? Like, this is very like, conversational between persons, and you can talk to God or cry out to him or laugh with him. You can be needy. He's the one who told you, tell him what you need. You can talk about yourself. He finds you fascinating. You don't have to pray about things that you don't actually care about. Because that would be honestly fake in some ways. You can pray short, snotty, meandering, random prayers, and your father loves that. The only way you can do it wrong is by trying too hard to do it right. And then lastly, you can fail a prayer by failing to pray. This is one of the only ways you can fail is just by not doing it at all because you think, well, I don't have time for that or you worry. Like, does it even work? You know, uh, maybe you have doubts. Like, does it even work? And, and you know that if you pray for something and it doesn't happen, it could shake your faith. And so it feels safer to not even ask God for anything because then you won't have to be disappointed. And I'm going to talk next week about that, about how prayer works and, and how God sometimes gives us what we ask for and sometimes he does it and how we should ask and believe. I'm going to talk about that. Maybe you worry that it's selfish or you don't feel worthy or you think, well, it's been so long since I prayed and now I, I think God might be disappointed in me. If I do come and pray, he, he's not disappointed in you because you don't pray enough. He might miss you. And, and I want to say this, if you want to feel bad about prayer, not praying enough, right? Don't feel bad about yourself. If you want to feel bad, maybe you feel bad for yourself. Because you're missing out on the benefits of having a relationship with your father. And there's been times I've missed out on the benefits, the blessing of prayer. It's not supposed to be a burden. It's something that we get to enjoy as Christians that no one else on earth gets 
to enjoy and experience. We get to communicate with the God of the universe and have a personal relationship with him. Jesus prayed a lot. You would think if there was one guy who didn't need to pray, it'd be the son of God. There's some ways I've even wondered, like, well, what did he pray for? Like, how, how does that really go when you're God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one? How, how do you pray to yourself? Hello, me. It's me again. Like, I don't know. But we know that there was a relationship there, and, and even though we probably can't fully wrap our minds around like, how the Trinity works, we know that, that God exists, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus would pray all the time. Think about this. Do you think Jesus wanted to pray or that he needed to pray? Trick question, okay? I think it's both. I think it's both. Uh, I think that prayer is something that Jesus needed. Look, John 5 says this. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The Son can do nothing by himself. What that means is Jesus humbled himself when he left heaven and he voluntarily put on human flesh. He became weak like us and also dependent on the Father the way that we are. He knows what it means to feel weakness which is why he prayed so much because he was doing a big task and he needed the father's help he needed strength and he modeled dependence on the father i love this last quote from paul miller he says this we tell ourselves strong christians pray a lot if i were a stronger christian i'd pray more here's the thing Strong Christians do pray more, but they pray more because they realize how weak they are. They don't try to hide it from themselves. Weakness is the channel that allows them to access grace. Other religions want to pretend, like people want to pretend in these other religions that they're righteous and they have it all together. But strong Christians who pray the most are the ones who realize that they're the weakest, the most helpless. In fact, it's less mature Christians who don't see as much their own shortcomings and their need for God. The more mature you are, the more you'll see your sinfulness and your need for God. And that'll lead you to pray more because of your dependence on the Father. Jesus was fully God, but he voluntarily made himself fully man and fully dependent on the Father. In Matthew 14, it says, After he had sent them away, his disciples... He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Right after this is when Jesus walked on the water. As far as we know, maybe that was the first time he'd ever walked on water. And let me ask you, if you had to walk on water, do you think you need to pray first? <laughs> Jesus, he went off to pray. He needed to be recharged. He needed to be encouraged by the Father before he poured himself out for those around him. He didn't just need to pray, but he also wanted to pray. Think about that. He wanted to pray. He wasn't trying to prove how good of a person he was because he was already perfect and he never sinned. 
He wasn't trying to earn God's approval by, by praying enough and getting a bunch of stars for his star chart. We already know at his baptism, God the Father said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. He already had God's perfect approval. He just wanted the benefits of prayer. He wanted to spend time with his father, the one person who actually understood him. Look in Luke 5, it says, as often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. He was always sneaking off to pray. Anytime he got a minute, where's Jesus? Oh, I, bet he's, I bet he's praying in the bushes again. Like, he's always trying to get time with God because his fellowship with the Father gave him strength. You need to appreciate this because that is what allows us to understand how terrible it was for him on the cross when he says in Matthew 27, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Notice this is one of the, the few times that Jesus addresses him as God instead of Father. Because in this moment, the Father turned his back on the Son. The worst thing for Jesus was not the nails on his head. It wasn't the beating. It wasn't the thorns on his head. It wasn't the nails that went through his hands and his feet. It wasn't the spear that was pierced up in his side. It wasn't the people mocking him or spitting on him. By far, the worst thing he experienced was for the first time in all of eternity, he was cut off from his relationship with God the Father. He was punished for your sins and he was cut off from the Father so that by through faith in him, you would never have to be. And now you can have relationship with God. You can have intimacy with the Father through faith in Jesus. And not only does Jesus live the perfect life that we could never live, not only does he live up to God's standards in a way that we never could, but he prays in a way we would never be able to pray for ourselves. Do you realize that Jesus didn't just die for you and rise again, but even now he's still praying for you. He is praying. He didn't go to heaven and just kick back in vacation mode. He's by the Father interceding for us, is what Scripture says. Hebrews 7 says, Therefore he, Jesus, is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Look, he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. So right now Jesus is talking to the Father like, Lord, Father, help Susie. Father, help John. He needs you. Father, help Ryan. He, he's trying to get through this sermon the best he can. Father, be with your people. Pour out your spirit on them. Father, forgive their sins. They know not what they do. Father, I know, I know he made mistakes, but I've already covered that sin by the blood that I shed, so he's righteous. Father, help. He's interceding for us. There's one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy says. Isn't it good to know you have a friend like this in Jesus who always has your back, who's always praying for you, who makes it possible for you to have relationship with the Father? So let's bow our heads in Mesa, South Mountain, Fountain Hills, online, all of our locations. And I want you just to have a minute of privacy where you're just reflecting inwardly on your own heart and your own relationship with the Father. What does that relationship look like? How is that relationship going? Some of you, if you're being honest, would say there is no relationship. 
all you've known up until now is religion. You don't know God as Father. You don't understand his perfect love. You've never experienced forgiveness and freedom from guilt. You're exhausted trying to live up to this perfect standard that you know you can't achieve. And you're tired and you want to put that burden at Jesus' feet today. If you want to be forgiven, if you want to have restored relationship with God as Father, if you want to be his child, you can experience that today. I want to talk to you first. And if you're ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and put your faith in him to save you by grace, not by your own works, but if you're ready to receive salvation as the free gift that it is, then I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's very simple. It's not magic. You don't have to pray this exactly, but just I'm trying to help you express what's in your heart. And the most important thing is is that you mean this and that you actually trust in Jesus to save you. The same way that a skydiver trusts in his parachute to save him. You're saying, I trust Jesus to save me. He's the one that's going to do the work. He's the one that makes it possible. So if that's you, pray this with me. Just say, God, I ask you to save me. I need to be forgiven for my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again so I could have eternal life and victory. Now, Father, I thank you for your love. And I ask you to lead me from this day forward. I put all my hope in you. And I want to know you more. In Jesus' name I pray. And now, if you still just keep your heads bowed for a minute. Uh, we're going to take a moment. We just have, we have enough time for this. There's not a rush to get out of here. Your kids are good in kids' church right now. But I just want to give you a moment before we respond to this message, before we sing, before we give, before we do anything, just to talk to your father. And maybe for the first time you talk to him as your father. Maybe for the first time you talk to him like you instead of trying to pretend to be someone else. Maybe you need to apologize for not talking to him. Maybe you need to, to say, hey, I'm sorry that I've ignored you. Uh, maybe you need to bring needs to him that up until now you've only tried to deal with yourself. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Maybe you need to talk out loud for the first time and, and pray out loud. I'm not going to give you a formula. I'm just trying to give you some ideas for what that might look like. But just for a few moments now, Let's just, at all of our locations, let's just talk to our Father in heaven. I'll lead us, and then you can have a couple minutes to do it yourself. Father, we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for giving us the gift of relationship through faith in Jesus. We put all of our trust in you. We know that we can't live up to this impossible, perfect standard that sometimes we've put on ourselves. And today we're reminded to rest in your grace and in the finished work of your son, Jesus. So we come to you today, humbly as your children, dependent on you. And we wanna know you in Jesus' name.